Hey guys, in today's episode, I interview Rachel Lowinger, Dr. Rachel Lowinger. She is a eating disorder specialist, and I personally learned a lot from this episode, and I really just love interviewing other people who are working in a similar field to me. So I don't specialize in eating disorders. I will take clients who have an eating disorder if they are safe to be in an outpatient setting and they work with a supervisor. So I'm definitely growing in my skills, um, but my main focus now is working with people who have disordered eating and they want to have a healthy relationship with food using the principles of intuitive eating and, you know, a little bit of my own things that I've learned along the way. And um, I think this is a really great episode. It's very eye-opening. Um, Dr. Lowinger Dr. is very, very brilliant. Um, I just wanted to say that I'm sorry for the background noise. Um, we are in the middle of Corona, a pandemic, and we are all home with all of our children. So as you'll hear her say, she has, she has six children, kind of her. So um, also some people reached out and said um, that they were loving the podcast, uh, but they wanted me to edit out some of the stuff. So I am going to reference Libby Rothschild right now, who is a dietitian boss, and she always says it's better to do it now than to do it perfect. And I'm really trying. I'm learning. Um, and even though I have perfectionistic tendencies like many of us do, I really wanted to get this podcast out. So I hope you'll be patient with me with my editing skills as I'm learning. And um, please subscribe to the podcast as well as my YouTube channel. Follow me on Instagram at dietitian.gilaglassberg. Um, feel free to DM me, ask me any questions, reach out, and we'll have a conversation. Um, I also have one-on-one coaching slots available, and I will be running a four-week intuitive eating support group um, in the next month. So reach out to me if you're interested, and let's get to the interview. Hi, everyone, and welcome to my podcast, Get Into It with Gila. I know you're going to love the content here because you will gain inspiration, powerful tools and insights, and valuable knowledge. If you want more of this, please visit my website at www.gilaglassberg.com or visit me on Instagram at gilaglassberg. I'm Gila Glassberg, a registered dietitian and intuitive eating counselor. I've come to realize by counseling many, many women that this work is much deeper and greater than food and body image. It's the bigger picture challenges we face of love, belonging, acceptance, what our true values and goals are, noticing them, addressing them, and gaining skills to move forward. If you have been struggling with what your life's purpose is, or you just feel stuck in general and don't know what's holding you back, this podcast will enlighten and inspire you to take action and move forward. This podcast is about other women in the 21st century who feel that losing weight will fix all their problems or somehow meet their unmet needs. Okay, hi everybody. I'm Gila Glassberg, registered dietitian and certified intuitive eating counselor. And tonight I have with me Dr. Lowinger. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Lowinger. Um, if you could introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, where you live. Sure. So I am a clinical psychologist. Uh, I've been working for the last 10 years uh, in various outpatient settings. Uh, right now I'm in private practice in Lawrence. Um, most of the weekend in Manhattan and um, yeah that's that's kind of an I'm a mom of, of six little sweethearts so if you hear them in the background in the age of coronavirus we're all together at all times yeah. so yeah wow. wow what are your kids ages 
uh, between two and 12. My oldest is 12 and my youngest is two. So, so you're very busy. Um, and what, what do you specialize in? So, um, I really work with, with a large variety of, um, of types of patients and issues, but eating disorders is one of the things that I specialize in as well as trauma and, um, and other types of mental health issues, but definitely eating disorders is a big part of what I work with on a regular basis. So how did you, how did you get um, into that field or like what's, what was your interest in that field? So I actually never thought I was going to work with eating disorders. It really never crossed my mind uh, for the first five years of work. Um, I really worked a lot with trauma. Um, but not so much with eating disorders, and I never had a desire to, um, until I actually got involved with a cousin of mine who created a documentary about eating disorders. Um, yeah. I'll tell you when I'm ready, okay, Bugala? Close the door. Maybe you can cut that out. Yeah, that's right. Close the door, love. Um, so she, she created this beautiful documentary that was very touching. Uh, it came in the wake of a death actually in the community as a result of an eating disorder. And she's been sort of educating the public, um, through this documentary and it really touched me and it really kind of lit a light bulb, um, for me. I was drawn to it. I think it was one of these divine providence moments where that's probably what God wanted me to do. So it showed up at my doorstep and I, I started from there. Um, but um, let, let me tell her to go away because this is going to be very disruptive. Miriam, my love, you can't do this robot thing right outside my door because I'm doing an interview and all they're going to hear is music and robot stuff. Go into your room. Oh um, I hope you can edit that out too. Um, so, yeah. So, but the interesting thing is that, as it turns out, trauma work overlaps a lot with eating disorders, both in terms of um, the population, meaning that a lot of people who suffer from eating disorders uh, turn out to have some kind of trauma in their histories, and in terms of um, a lot of the underlying sort of pathology, phenomenology, there's a lot of overlap. So my work with trauma was not that far off after all, just that the eating disorder population has an additional, very specific set of challenges. So, so what was the name of the documentary? Uh, I think it's named Hungry to be Heard. Oh, I've heard of it, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that's... Uh, that's my cousin, um, Elisheva Diamond. That's not her married name. I'm blanking out now on her married name, but I want to give her credit for helping light that light bulb in my head. Yeah. So you you were working in the um, like the trauma field for five years, and once you saw that documentary, it, it's sort of like you sort of saw like a overlap or some sort I of saw an overlap and just something clicked inside of me and it just felt very relevant and very um why why not me like it just felt like it was kind of calling out to me I've also had some personal exposure to it and just a few different things kind of clicked together and it just it it made sense 
So I started to get specialized training and specialized supervision and did a number of different kinds of trainings. And, and then uh, it really became one of the focus points of my practice with time. Wow. And um, I guess one of the major themes that you see with eating disorder clients is trauma. But is there anything else? Like, is there any other like common themes that you see like woven throughout your eating disorder patients or clients? So, you know, it's interesting. Sometimes I tell patients, I feel like eating disorders are a little bit like mana, but not in a positive way in the sense that just like mana, whatever flavor you wanted it to taste like, it it tasted that way. It seems to me like eating disorders sort of take on the shape of whatever it is that a person struggles with. So for people who struggle with identity and a sense of self and a sense of worth, an eating disorder gives them that. And for someone who struggles with mostly loneliness and and a feeling of alienation and aloneness, an eating disorder becomes one best friend and companion and and a voice that keeps keeps them company when they're alone. And for someone who, Um, you know, experiences a lot of emotional pain and suffering, an eating disorder can become that analgesic, that anesthesia that sort of numbs out the pain. So it's really a very convenient and seductive sort of symptom because it seems to change itself, to tailor itself to whatever um, a person is struggling with and to, to give this illusion that it can fill in whatever is missing for a person so it's really very um various for different people it it fulfills different needs and at the same time of course it has universal sort of symptoms that look very similar regardless of why it came to be where it is well, wow, that's so interesting. Like such a good um, mashal, like that. It's like the man, like whatever the person is, str- is struggling with. Because I, so I do intuitive eating, which is actually the authors of the book. They say like if somebody has an active eating disorder, they shouldn't be using intuitive eating. But it is like sort of like the end goal when somebody's fully recovered. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Something that I see often in my practice is that people will use food to cope with their emotions. And um, like what you, I guess, whatever you're saying, whatever, like emotional need that wasn't filled or that they mm-hmm. didn't learn to, they didn't learn a healthy coping skill or a healthy coping mechanism. So therefore like food really is their best friend, you know, right. or lack of, yeah. Or, or the addiction to, to not eating in, in the case of eating disorders is kind of an addictive behavior of not eating and being skinny and being extremely thin and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's it, like anything else, like any pathology, really, any symptom that, that we see is the result of a coping mechanism, really. Mm-hmm. It's just that it's a coping mechanism that ends up being more destructive than helpful in the long term, term or that people rely on excessively and it becomes destructive. It's, it's all coping-based and it's all coming from the adaptive part of a person's wanting to thrive. But sometimes the coping mechanisms that people happen upon, like addictions mm-hmm. and drug and alcohol use and, and, and eating disorders, are, are self-destructive. So it doesn't, it turns out in the long term to, make more, to do a lot more damage than good. But it is a coping. Right. It actually reminds me of like an autoimmune disease because like that's actually the body like, 
you know, fighting with itself. So that's interesting. Yeah, something like that, right? Right. Yeah. So do you do you work primarily within like the Orthodox community or at like the whole community at large? I mean, I'm available to everyone, but I get a lot of referrals in the community. So I tend to work a lot in the community. I'm well aware of the different pressures and expectations and norms in the community. So it works out, I think, well for everybody. I also work with a lot of Hasidic people so that, that they are in our community, but sometimes are also, you know, following their own sets of rules. And sometimes I need cultural guidance when I work with those populations. Um, yeah. Do you find that there's like a common theme within the Orthodox um, Jewish community that that lends itself to an eating disorder or like, um, I don't know, just would make it a little bit more, I know that, I know that people, I don't, I don't know statistically if it's accurate, but I do know that they say that it's, that eating disorders are rampant within the Orthodox Jewish community. Mm. I don't know. I'm always very hesitant to make statements like that because I, I, I'm really not sure about the statistics and I'd be pretty surprised if, if that was true. I think we have different kind of pressures, um, you know, the, the dating pressures and the, um, you know, the sort of more herd mentality that sometimes we all as a community kind of are guilty of because we do have much closer knit communities. But I think that gets balanced out in the public at large by, you know, cultural norms and, and messaging through advertisements and Hollywood and magazines. So I think that the cultural pressure comes in one way or another. Maybe our cultural pressures are a little bit different. I don't think that the Hasidic girls get their pressure from Hollywood and magazines, but they get it from their peers. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I'm not so sure that it's that different. And certainly when it comes to trauma and when it comes to um, interpersonal dynamics and the way that eating disorders kind of tend to come in as a rescue from too much or too little closeness in the family. I'm pretty sure that's kind of universal as far as I can tell. I'm actually happy to hear that because I do think that sometimes we are like quick to, I don't know, blame or like assume that our problems are bigger than the, the outside world and I think that that creates some sort of like fear or I don't know obsession around problems in our community and and we're as a as a Jewish community we're not we're not like worse off or better off I guess I, I mean I'd be really interested in seeing the statistics and I am not quoting any research as I'm saying this it's just kind of like more like a gut feeling and just from knowing about how these how these um, disorders come about and the more universal sort of aspects that I can just imagine that they're prevalent in the com in the population at large. But I could be wrong. Interesting. I want to look into that. Um, okay. So, so do you have any advice like how we could better like educate the public to um, help prevent eating disorders? Oh goodness. Yeah, I'm actually planning to to talk about this and to to have more sort of open discussions with parents. I mean, I think what really has been even for me um kind of a paradigm shift is to really understand and and believe um the research that um directs us in the 
direction of understanding that people have a set point for their weight and that weight is primarily um, regulated by genetics and determined by genetics. And so some people are genetically predisposed to be larger than other people. And that's huge. I mean, to really understand how profound that is, mm -hmm. that our weight is determined by genetics as much as our hair color or our eyes colors is huge. It changes everything because we live in a culture where, um, you know, the idea of dieting and the idea of how easy it, it's, it's possible to control one's weight um, comes with a whole slew of moral kind of um, conclusions for people who can't do that as easily as it's supposed to be, right? That they are lazy, that they are careless, that they are not now. I can't do this now. I can't do this now. I don't know. Close the door. As promised. Um, sorry, I hope you can edit that out too. Um, so, right. So, so it really comes with so much baggage for people who struggle with their weight, um, that there's something morally defect about their inability to do the seemingly easy fit of just losing weight and being a size four because we're supposed to be able to be a size four mm -hmm. and the cruel reality that for so many people that is not really easily attainable at all and that there's so much suffering that goes on for so many people um, over this simple kind of fact of life that they're constantly battling to change and feeling bad about themselves when they're not able to so really understanding that and understanding that from a parent's perspective and not putting that pressure and that expectation on our children and really believing and giving over the message that our children are beautiful at different sizes and at different shapes and that there's so much more to them than the size dress that they're wearing. I think if a parent can really reflect that and mirror that to their child, their child will grow up with a sense of self-esteem and a sense of self-worth, and they're not as likely to struggle as much. Now, there's no foolproof for anything. So, you know, there's no guarantees and it's not just the parents. We live in a culture that's not very forgiving of people of different shapes and sizes and that emphasizes shapes and size. Um, so there's more than just that. But, but as far as parents go, I think that's important to be able to really create a strong sense of self-esteem for kids and um, their worth being so much more than just their looks. And when you have a kid who's chubbier, I have one of those. I have very skinny ones and I have a chubbier one to just let them, let them be and, and, and see their beauty and not emphasize it and not make a big deal um, to me, I think that's a big part of it. Yeah, I'm so happy that you're saying that because there's the book Intuitive Eating, which I'm certified in this approach, but there's also the book Health at Every Size, and right. which you are referring to, Linda Bacon did a lot of research on this set point we, and it's very ground groundbreaking research. And I think that um, it's, it's very liberating, but it's also very, um, I guess hard to believe because we're so we're, we are really knee deep in this culture that says if you just tried a little harder, you could probably be a little skinnier or a lot skinnier, and then like then you, then you're acceptable, then you're lovable, then you're worthy, and it it is so painful because like first of all, who decided that that weight is the ideal weight, and second of all, like just like you said, we can't just change 
our eye colors. We can't just change the size of our feet, you know? And there's like so much of this like emphasis on just work harder, just be better. And mm-hmm. the wrong emphasis really. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very painful. It's very painful. It's, you know, I, with eating disorders, I think you get two types of patients, I guess. The ones who are to begin with very skinny and underweight. And I think those patients end up often with an eating disorder because they've gotten so much feedback and so much, um, you know, encouragement, I guess, for their being skinny and so much of their identity has come to to rely on it. And so when they go through puberty or when their body starts to change, they kind of have a really hard time dealing with that. And then you have the, the other side of the population who are people who, who are really above average and who have gotten hurt and who have gotten sometimes bullied or shamed or what have you, or in their own families have gotten a lot of uh, flack for being overweight. And they come to the eating disorder kind of trying to fix something that they feel is inherently uh, bad about them and part of their recovery is to really accept their weight and it's so painful to watch how hard that is to do in a culture that doesn't support that and that doesn't really um, you know see it that way so I I really my heart is with them and I I really feel for them Um, but but we there are role models in our in our culture there are role models of people who are strong and beautiful and talented and smart who are not necessarily a size zero size two and i really look up to those people to kind of continue to carry forward the flag of you know healthy and beautiful at every size and really to live in a way that that's true to that it's it's where the future is it's the next feminism yeah. 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 I actually did um a supervision session with Evelyn Tripoli. She's one of the authors of Intuitive Eating. And I was having this like issue with a lot of my clients that I felt like they were really doing well in the intuitive eating process, but they would always like go back to this point like, but I'm so unhappy that I'm fat. Like I'm so unhappy in this body. And I told this to Evelyn and she said, and I went through all like the practices that we were doing and you know how they were doing in other areas. And she said, like, you're internalizing them not accepting themselves. Like, don't internalize that. It's really hard. That acceptance part is really hard. And you're still doing like a really good job. And like you just have to sit in the pain with them because it is really hard. Sometimes I'm the only person that is accepting of their body type in their life. Their their mother doesn't, their fathers don't, their spouse doesn't, their kids don't, their friends don't, or that's how they feel at least. And it's a really painful place to be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just hope that, you know, we as women sometimes internalize too much and not externalize enough. And just like there was a, a, you know, at one point, a generation of women who decided to be feminist and to say, you know, women can do more and, and, um, you know, women's worth is far more than whatever culture was dictating at the time. I'm really hoping that there'll be a wave of sort of body wise women who will go forward and will change a little bit the I, I really think this is a point in time and it will pass this is not this is not how we stay there's progress ahead but i don't want to kind of just touch on this point and take away from the fact that there's also so many other mechanisms to eating disorders and that there is a real addictive component so even though it may start sometimes because of these cultural 
um, issues most of the time what maintains the eating disorders are kind of like an intricate complex set of um, addictive kind of behaviors the same way um, you know that an alcoholic or a drug user or any other kind of addicted person might report in terms of habits and and um, so so it's much more complex than that I, I think we all live in this culture and we don't all develop eating disorders and there's reason for that so there's more to eating disorders than the cultural pressure piece but certainly it would be nice to see some changes with that yeah it definitely is like a complex um like interface of many things at play that yeah. creates this like perfect storm for exactly eating. yeah exactly yeah. i i am a, like partially trained in eating disorders so i'm getting there i find mm -hmm. it very fascinating and and um, I've just read many books on it and I just think it's a very complex disorder and it's amazing that you're like out there treating it because it's really difficult. Yeah, I, I, I love what I do. That's the truth. I'm very passionate about it. I'm very passionate about my patients. What do you think that like we as dietitians could do to, to better serve the eating disorder world? I mean, I think there's a really different kind of, the, the way I see it, it's a different kind of training because really dietitians, the way I see it most of the time are trained to help people lose weight or eat healthy, right? Um, and in the eating disorder sort of world, it's kind of the opposite, right? People kind of have to go on a diet to gain weight mm -hmm. and to richly and as nutritiously as possible. So it's a different, a little bit of a different mindset. So I don't know if it's... Um, it's not the same goal, I guess, uh, when you work with eating disorder patients. But I think having more nutritionists who are trained with eating disorders would be helpful. And I think it might also change a little bit the way they even work with the general population because mm -hmm. it sort of gives another perspective on the whole, on the whole issue altogether. Right in terms of restricting and and creating all these rules and you know um, creating all this rigidity around food, which can then become so destructive. So I I think it would probably balance out. But there's different styles to nutritional counseling. The way I understand it, right? There's no one type of nutritionist out there. Right. There are some more stricter ones and more intuitive ones. There's really just like you can't make a big statement about a general statement about therapist you can't make a statement about nutritionists either right there's styles and approaches well my traditional training was i i, I found that it was very like, like fear-based or shame-based like we i mean no i did learn a lot about motivational interviewing but there was basically like this is the way that you your clients should eat and this is like how you should teach them and once I started like using that in practice. I didn't find it. I found that if it, it felt like I was shaming them or that I was like the mm -hmm. food police. And that's why when I read the book intuitive eating, I felt like, I, and I, I always thought I wanted to do eating disorders, but I, I, you really have very little training as a dietitian, like in, in your regular, like unless you specialize, which I didn't. So I, I, I was discouraged. I was told like, there's no real way to treat it. And it's very um, tragic like a lot of stuff I wish I didn't listen to. Like I really wish I yeah. specialized, but um, intuitive eating, I feel like it's sort of like the middle ground because it's, mm -hmm. it's treating people who have disordered eating, you know, they mm -hmm. have a full-blown eating disorder, but 
they're struggling and mm -hmm. I like to meet them where they're at. And I know like I struggled with that myself. So mm -hmm. I find that it's a really gentle approach. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, I think anything that's middle, middle path, middle ground is probably um, better than, than going to extremes of any kind. So I'm with you on that. Okay, great. So um, do you have anything you want to add before we end? Um, is there anything I want to add? Um, I don't think so. I think we covered a lot of ground. I think, um, you know, all of us women should kind of support each other and try to really, really see each other's beauty from the inside and the outside and create an environment where everybody can be less judgmental and less harsh and more accepting of each other and of ourselves mm -hmm. and kind of lead the way. And, you know, the way we see ourselves, that's the way we're going to be viewed and seen by others. And there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of tikkun, there's a lot of correction that we can bring to the world by doing that. Beautiful. Um, where can we find you? Or are you like not accepting new invitations? <laughs> so I am pretty full at the moment, but um, but I'm in Lawrence, um, and I guess my email is probably the best way to get in touch. It's Doctor Period Rachel Owinger at gmail dot com, um, and um, yeah, you can always shoot me an email. Sometimes people just have questions. That's fine. Okay, um, I'll put your email in the show notes so that people can see it in the podcast. Okay. Okay. Thank you so much. Have a great night. You're welcome. You too. Thank you all so much for being here on my podcast, Get Into It with Gila. If you'd like to learn more about what I do and what intuitive eating is, please visit my website at www.gilaglassberg.com or follow me on Instagram at Gila Glassberg. Thank you so much. Have a great day.